0: and two hemispheres enfolding every race, nation, and language. Then you're considering Catholicism. Well, welcome back to Considering Catholicism. I'm here with Corey. Hello. For the third installment of this series that we're calling Speed Bumps on the Road to Rome. That was the title I came up with. Mm-hmm. Did I like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's kind catchy. Of yeah, catchy. Yeah, catchy. We're talking about like you're going down the road to Rome to convert to Catholicism, but there's these speed bumps, these hurdles. And the first installment of this, we talked about the cultural barriers because coming into the Catholic Church, it's a different subculture. And then in the last episode, we talked about some of the historical baggage, some of the things that the church has done or is perceived to have done that give you hesitation or pause. Mm-hmm. But today we're going to talk about the, the doctrinal barriers. Especially for Protestants who are approaching the Catholic Church, before we launch into that, I was reading a book about the Roman legions this week. <laughs> and in the Roman legions, if one man went down, the man behind him has to step up
1: and fill his gap. In the sure, lawn. sure, with the shield, yeah, yeah, and the phalanx,
0: yeah, yeah. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is <laughs> I'm gonna. <coughs> we live in a we live on the ice planet Hoth right now. Because this part of the country got super cold and super white. Mm. I was out snow blowing like four times in the last twenty four hours and I sucked all this cold air into my lungs. So I'm coughing. So like the Roman legions, I'm going down, man, and I need you to sort of step up and fill my gap. So sure, I'm sure. counting on you to do the majority of the talking today, and I'm just gonna kinda lean away from the microphone and cough my lungs out.
1: Okay. okay? That that sounds good. You can chip in when you're you're not hacking along out. So as we
0: talk about Those kinds of doctrinal barriers. What what we're not going to do today is go through the list of the dozen doctrinal issues and answer them all because this is the 174th episode. Well,
1: yeah. And it would take too much time for one reasonably length episode. And and as you just alluded to, we've done a lot of them before and we can do ones we haven't covered at other times in the future, or we could recover ones we've done in the past with greater depth. I I
0: encourage with people to go back and look at the archives and you can go to the website and search by topic and whatnot. And if you have some questions that haven't been answered in previous episodes, you can always write us and we'll answer them. But I want to talk about the journey or process Mm -hmm. and how you go about answering those Mm -hmm. to to, to a satisfactory degree. You go, yeah... I can understand the Catholic doctrine on this, and I can assent to it.
1: Yeah, and as you said, I I think we're coming at this mainly from the perspective of someone who's been raised in one or other kind of Protestant tradition, because there's other ways that this could be approached, and maybe we'll talk about this in the future, but if you're coming from a secular or a non-religious or an atheist agnostic background, there are going to be different sets of doctrines that are going to give you pause than what we're talking about here. So, I think that's an important caveat to start with. But I think the way that I'll start approaching it, and you can chip in if you want to, Greg, is just my own experience, because I think this is an experiential series, these three road bumps. This is about how you you approach it and, and the thoughts and emotions that are going through your head. And so for me, the first one's... The first doctrinal hurdles that I encountered or I hit on that road was way before I knew I was even on the road, and those are the ones related to interpretation of Scripture. So, sola scriptura, particularly, and its relationship with your view of the authority of the Church and the magisterium and tradition in in interpreting divine revelation— and so that was kind of the first one that I encountered because as a Protestant, I was reading the Bible, I was trying to interpret the Bible, I was listening to other people interpret the Bible, whether they were whether a pastor on Sundays or someone on the internet or a book that I was reading. And so it's sort of unavoidable that you run into that question of how do we interpret scripture? And so that was kind of the first one that went down for me as I got to the point where I couldn't sustain the idea that it interprets itself, it's obvious, and it's the only authority in the Christian life.
0: Yeah, let me just jump in here because I think part of it comes from misunderstandings mm-hmm. of the word tradition. Sure. They hear the word tradition and they say, oh, well, the Catholic Church puts tradition equal with scripture. And again, we, we've done whole episodes on this, yeah, so yeah. I don't want to go deep on this, but it's sort of an understanding that the Catholic Church makes stuff up. And it has all these pious traditions that crept in from when Constantine converted and all these Roman traditions and Celtic traditions, right? This whole thing came in and that the pure gospel scripture has been watered down by all this Catholic tradition. And, of course, that's not what it means. One of the things for me as a Protestant, it was baked in the cake, the the idea of sola scriptura, Mm -hmm. scripture alone is the only source. And as you just said, the argument is that it's just sort of self-authenticating. And again, don't want to get too deep in it here, but that one really crumbled when you simply ask the question, if only what is written in Scripture Mm -hmm. is revealed and true, then where is it written in Scripture that only… The scriptures are the only source of truth, right? And you can go back and listen to those episodes. But it kind of fell fast for me because I don't feel like – I've never met, and I include myself in this, I don't think that Protestants have any good answer to the Catholic response to Sola Scriptura. I don't think they've ever had a good answer to it. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes they don't even understand the question when the Catholic responds to the whole issue of scripture and tradition. So all that to say, I think that when you're working with somebody who, who is beginning to consider Catholicism, as you say, The authority of scripture, tradition, the role of the church and apostolic authority, I I think is the
1: first and easiest thing to grasp. Well, and it's logically prior to the other ones because it cracks everything else open. If you're willing to then consider the tradition and the teachings of the Catholic church in a way that you weren't before because you were limited to what you perceived as being straight out of the Bible. So yeah, that one's kind of foundational in terms of the the doctrinal road you're going to follow. And then for me, I, I think this is generally probably going to be one of the, the early ones that a Protestant is going to encounter. For me, it was the, the next one, is those issues around justification and around the idea popularly uh, titled once saved, always saved, or the perseverance of the saints and faith in works. Those sort of central, the, the $5 word is soteriological the things related to how are we saved what is salvation how does god give it to us what is our role in it and those are foundational questions in the debates that brought about the protestant reformation to begin with and so they're they're kind of the next thing you're going to encounter and you're going to work through what well what does the catholic church actually teach about those things because there are a lot of misconceptions. I came from a Lutheran background and then I was at a school with a lot of Calvinists and from both of those perspectives there's a lot of misconceptions about what the Catholic Church actually says and how it differs from those Protestant perspectives. And so that that I think is going to be another foundational one that you're going to you're going to work out. After that I think you're going to hit some of the things that are pretty typical the role of mary and the saints the role of the pope in the church and that brings you i think two fundamental ecclesiological questions
0: so before we jump past the mary and the yeah, Saints thing, yeah. because that's one that like you can't just jump past because i i think in my experience in my own experience personally and in the experience of so many protestants that i've been involved with working with who are considering Catholicism and come to the Catholic Church, there is this kind of sequence, and a lot of times it is understanding Scripture, Mm -hmm. it is understanding, you and I were talking before we started the moral theology. Yeah,
1: that's that's one we should hit more on, because that's important.
0: We'll we'll come back to that, because I think that's actually something that's very attractive, Mm -hmm. especially to Protestants and Evangelicals, and you can explain, I think, why so many Protestants and Evangelicals, they may have disagreements with the Catholic Church, by and large, have deep respect for its moral theology, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that's an attractor, but they always get finally at some point get hung up on the saints, and particularly hung up on Mary, and now we've done, I don't know, a dozen episodes, maybe yeah, more than yeah. a dozen episodes about the doctrines of Mary, and so I don't want to rehash them all here, but I think I've talked about it in the podcast before, is once I grasped the Catholic doctrine of Mary, it was like a cheat code unlock, especially the Old Testament and the New Testament for mm-hmm. me. Like, like finding that cheek over a video game, you're like, oh my gosh, now all of these things are easy to understand. And, I mean, I get, I got an email just the other day from a, a guy, he and his wife have been listening to the podcast, Protestants, and they listened to one of the earlier meth- episodes we did on Mary. Mm-hmm. And they're like, that brought tears to rise, and now it's forcing us to reconsider things. So I think that Mary may be one, like on the, the sequence, might be later, but once you sort of crest the hill of Mary, it kind of becomes a downhill road to the Tiber.
1: I think that's right. I think it once you've cleared the hurdle of Marian dogma, you're getting pretty close to, to the point where you can actually cross over into Catholicism. I, I think part of it is just having the willingness to listen to the catholic doctrines on their own terms there's all the confusion between protestants and catholics about do catholics worship mary and catholics will explain well we don't worship her in the way that we worship god but it is a great honor and respect and veneration for her and and so there's that kind of confusion about words between the two and if that can get cleared up and you can actually Hear the doctrine being articulated the way it's supposed to be understood. I think it's not too hard to understand. But I think this is one of those places where the cultural and the historical kind of enmesh with the the doctrinal. None of these exist in a vacuum from each other because you can intellectually accept, okay, that Marian doctrine makes sense, but it might just still feel culturally pretty weird and foreign, and getting down on your knees and actually saying a Hail Mary might be really, really hard. (laughs) I I think it's an important distinction between Mm -hmm. Marian doctrine and Marian devotion.
0: Mm -hmm. Because for me, intellectually, when I grasped Marian doctrine, like I said, it was a cheat code that unlocked the the Old Testament and the New Testament for me, and I Mm -hmm. got it. Like It was like, Bang, you like turning on the cheat code in the video game. Marian devotion, all of the sort of cultural Marian sacramental devotions, mm-hmm. that took a, a, some time because some of them, and I've done episodes about the rosary and this and that. The rosary was kind of easy. I told the way back, I don't know, 100 episodes ago, I told the story about buying my first rosary mm-hmm. and praying my, my first rosary. But then you can get into some Marian devotions and apparitions and some of the things that they get a little bit, okay, just like we talked about in the first episode yeah, of the yeah. series, they get a little bit like culturally, like, you know, can feel a little weird, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, but, but I think the other thing, too, is you just said something about taking it on its own terms. Mm-hmm. So I was actually on Twitter this morning over my morning coffee. Excuse me, I'm going to cough really loud, <laughs> so I'm going to hit the mute button. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> The Holy Roman Empire wasn't Holy <laughs> Roman or an Empire. Discuss amongst yourselves while I could cough out a lung. Um, but he's back now. Folks. I'm back now. So, but but right. So I'm I'm scrolling through Twitter today, and you've got the Twitter trolls. There's Catholic Twitter trolls, and there's Protestant Twitter trolls who just like put provocative stuff on there. Yeah. But there's these guys on there, these Protestants, and they'll just lob these kind of weird, twisted accusations about Catholic doctrine, especially Marian doctrines, Mm -hmm. that are just like like they clearly don't understand it. So, yeah, I I guess I'm just backing up what you were saying a minute ago, that I think as one encounters these things, one has to take them on their own terms, Mm -hmm. read what the Church actually teaches about these things, read good explanations or listen to good explanations of what the Church actually teaches, and not just listen to Mm -hmm. third-hand Representations,
1: yeah, and I think that that might be especially important for Marian dogma, but it goes—it's a general principle for for all of these different things. But let's go back to one that that I had forgotten and that you just brought up, which is moral theology, which was a big one for me, and I, I think for a lot of Protestants who are considering Catholicism. Personally, for me, it was during marriage prep. My my fiance now my wife were doing marriage prep, and we went to our good friend and mentor, Greg Smith, and said, hey, what should we be reading? And Greg, unbeknownst to us at that time, was well along uh, the road to Rome and handed us the Catechism of the Catholic Church and said, read the stuff on marriage. It's really good. And we did. And it was really good. And I read some other Catholic things. I, I read some Benedict XVI at that time on moral theology. And it just made sense of a lot of things that I already believed, actually, about marriage and about sexual morality and about the role of the family in society and in the church, but didn't have a way to articulate and to make sense of. It was just kind of a just-so story to me in a, in a lot of ways. It was, well, this is the way it is. Why? Because the Bible says so. Um, where Where is that in the Bible? I can't really quite pinpoint it. You want, Greg? Greg? Yeah, that was an honor for me
0: to, you know, walk you guys through that and but, but just as an interesting flip side to the story mm-hmm. is that I'd been doing weddings by that point for 20 something years mm-hmm. as a Protestant pastor and I had a couple of other Protestant evangelical marriage prep books mm-hmm. that I'd always used. And so all these years, I mean, it was like here, these are the two books that you should buy and read. These right, are the right. two books you should buy and read. And you were the first couple where I said, "You know what? I'm not going to have those." Um, Because they were all sort of this Protestant moral understanding of marriage as a covenant, Mm -hmm. not as a sacrament. Right, right. Right, not as an ontological sacrament. And again, we probably should do a whole episode of what that means. If we haven't already, we should. (laughs) Because in Protestantism, marriage is not a sacrament. It's a covenant between two people, but it's Mm -hmm. not a, 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 a sacrament. And I remember up until that point having those books. I still have those Protestant marriage prep books in my house somewhere. But I remember when you and your wife came or your fiancé came, I was like, you know what? We're going to do something different because I think you should read this because this is, I think, the real deal. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up, I was still a Protestant at that point, but I was yep. in the study. Because I think there's so much about Catholic moral theology that once you begin to dive into it, it becomes, I think, one of the major attractors, mm-hmm. especially for thoughtful Protestants, and especially, I think, for thoughtful Protestants in this day and age when our culture is in moral freefall— and then you, you encounter Catholic moral theology. You go, This is substantive, and it makes sense, and it's coherent.
1: Well, and I think on the, on the flip side, why a lot of people, especially of my generation, I'm in my early 30s and, and younger, have abandoned the moral teachings of the Church and have often abandoned their faith entirely, is because they didn't have a good understanding of why they believed those moral teachings anyways. And, and there was no articulation of it. I mean, if if I hadn't received that, I could certainly— conceive of a scenario in which that could have happened happened to me as it's happened happened to many people and so yeah I think it's especially important on kind of those hot button culture war issues but I think in a more personal way for a lot of people it's also just important to how they live their moral lives every day that Theology of, okay, what is sin? What is holiness? How can I be striving after holiness? What are the habits that I should be cultivating in my life? How do I even think in, in moral categories about different kinds of actions and, and motivations is something that I'd, I'd never seen before and is just immensely helpful. For, for some Protestants, that may sound or feel legalistic at first. That's something that you're kind of on the watch for, especially in certain types of Protestant circles. But I think when you actually engage with it, it, just becomes really practical. Well, this is the thing,
0: right? So, in mean, Protestantism in general, and in Evangelicalism in particular, you have moral do's and don'ts, particularly don'ts, Mm-hmm. but what you don't have is the why don't. And how. And, and right. Well, because what you end up with is, well, because there's a Bible passage that says this, but what you don't have is an investigation of, of the why behind that. Right. Why does the Bible say not to do this? And the reason I bring this up is I've got a production queue mm-hmm. of episodes, and one of the ones I've been working on that I'll probably be releasing soon soon here is called What About Weed? The Catholic position on marijuana and drugs. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is it's not just well don't do just drugs. Say no. Just yeah. say no. It's very nuanced understandings that go back to Thomas Aquinas and understanding of mankind and things that that go back to telos and purpose and right mm-hmm. and it's all these things that give moral theology not just doesn't just give you the answers it gives you the reasons. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you a quick story. I know I've told you this story, but mm-hmm. share it with the listeners. So, when I was in seminary, uh, Calvinist seminary, I had a professor, philosophical theology professor, mm-hmm. and he was telling us about a conference that he went to. It was about medical ethics mm-hmm. at the time. So, this is way back in the 80s or whatever, but it was all this complex medical ethics stuff, in beginning of life, end of life, yeah. cloning, yeah. all this hard, what's the right thing to do sort of thing. and. He said there were two guys who were like the speakers, it was like a debate at this conference, and the one guy was this Calvinist scholar. And all he had was, all Calvinism is the Ten Commandments and some Bible verses. I mean, these are really complex medical questions, and he's doing it from thou shalt not kill, and there's some verse in Thessalonians that kind of maybe you can bear on it. And he said the next guy who gets up is some theologian from, I don't know, like Notre Dame or something who was a, a Thomistic scholar. And this guy gets up and, he's, and he starts by laying out all these categories of the human person, natural law, mm. God's revealed law. And he starts laying all these categories and he says, now we can apply these categories to these questions. And he goes, this guy is like just drawing out all this stuff and we don't have anything like this I'll never forget that conversation mm-hmm. in seminary with my professor because it was one of the things that were clicking in my head going yeah we don't we don't have any way to address that so all that to say I think that the moral theology thing is something that's usually an attractor mm-hmm. f- for converts but then you run up against the things that become harder and you alluded I've got to like ha- hack my hack my lung out here <laughs> so why don't you take on what we've all both agreed is like the last and hardest thing for Protestants to get over.
1: Yeah. Um, actually I'll I'll cover one thing briefly before we get to that, and that's uh, sacramental theology, which I think is often another attractor. As as you mentioned earlier, marriage is not considered a sacrament in the majority of, of Protestant circles. It would be just baptism and, and Holy Communion, but it's often treated like a sacrament. And so when when a Protestant certainly when when I started understanding more deeply what a sacrament was, how the Church articulated it, how God gives us His grace and affects real change in us through these physical things, it was hugely attractive to me. It it made sense of my previous experience, and it it drew me in to to want to experience sacraments that I couldn't have experienced before the sacrament of confession, being confirmed and, and being filled with the Holy Spirit in a new way when being brought into the Church. But you do have to clear the hurdle of the difference in the Protestant understanding of a sacrament versus the Catholic understanding of a sacrament. So that's another hurdle you, you cross. But as you said, there's there's one that we've both identified as, I think, kind of the, the last big one that oftentimes you'll you'll have to clear, and that's questions of ecclesiology, or what the Church is, and how I'm supposed to have a relationship with it. Because there's a huge difference in how the majority of Protestants view the Church, and how the Catholic Church views itself. The, the basic Protestant approach is that I, I am a Christian, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, that's good, we all want to have personal relationships with Jesus, but then I kind of go in search of a, a community, a, a local body that is made up of other people who are like that. And so it's kind of a, a loose association. And the church dwells therein. It's the, where two or three are, are gathered, there I am with you, that, that Christ says. But it, it's it's sort of loose and has to be held loosely because it, it all might implode for various reasons and then I go look for another one or maybe I'm just, you know, I'm bored here or there's the the stock phrase of I'm not being fed or or there's a scandal in the, in that body and you go search for another one or you go start another one. And so the church is this kind of ever shifting not very well-defined conglomeration of of the believers, the people who have relationships with Christ. And that's not at all how the, the Catholic Church views itself. First of all, there's the idea of apostolic succession, that Jesus started this thing and ordained apostles who made bishops, and that the bishops are the this, the, the lo- loci, however you say that, the, the locuses of unity for the whole thing, and that the, the Church hands on the faith through tradition, through the, through the scriptures, that the Church baptizes and welcomes people into the faith, and that I, I am a Christian, In this, in and through this community, we even interpret the scriptures as, as. Uh, a community as, as the church, uh, the the tradition and the magisterium helps me as the individual understand. So in, in many ways, it's sort of an inverted idea of the church. It's what we might call a, a high ecclesiology or a high view of the church as being very, very important and very central and, and prior to me and my individual relationship with Christ versus what we could call a, a low ecclesiology or a low v- version of the church, view of the church that predominates in a lot of Protestant circles. And that has all kinds of practical implications for how you live your life. Again, the the doctrinal things are not separate from the cultural and historical. And I think that is probably why this one tends to be the last one that's cleared. Even if you start wrestling with it early on your road to Rome, it, it might be the last one that you actually clear because it's it's so practical. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's, am I going to go down to the parish down the street? Am I going to receive a sacrament? Do I have to care about what my priest says, care about what my bishop says? Do I have to recognize that the Pope in Rome is somebody that's, that's important and that I, I need to give loyalty to? You're pulling the trigger if you're making decisions about ecclesiology. Well, that and and also as soon as you step
0: through the door of the parish and decide Mm -hmm. you're going to go down this road, you have to deal with with what we talked about in the last episode, that Hilaire Balak quote, you have to deal with the (laughs) knavish imbecility, right, of the church. And Mm -hmm. so you're going to go, well, I mean, I'm reading in the news about... Bishop so and so, or Cardinal so and so, or Pope Francis said this, or whatever or scandals, or scandals, yeah. or whatever, and so that ecclesiology to sort of believe that this is the Church,
1: and there isn't an escape hatch. That I just go to the other Catholic church down the road. Well, they're all they're all the right. same Catholic church, and that's yeah.
0: what we're going to talk about in the next episode. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a minute, but yeah, I mean, finally, you have to grasp this. I did an episode, I don't know, like a year or so ago, called Why this podcast or something, I can't remember what I called it, isn't mere Christianity. Yes, 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 Because I have all these Protestant friends, and they were so glad I was starting a podcast, and they thought, don't make it like particularly Catholic, just make it like a general Christian podcast. Mm. Can't it just be mere Christianity? And they kept pushing on me, pushing on me. We we want to listen to your podcast, but we're tired of hearing about Catholicism. Make it just considering Christianity. And what I said was, I can't do that, because at some point y- y- you, you live Christianity in a place Mm -hmm. right and i can't just say it's me and jesus in the bible and then whichever bible church or small group or whatever i happen to be going to now right right you know at some point christianity below the level of i believe that jesus rose from the dead at some point you have to get down to the particulars to the nitty-gritty to how Mm -hmm. you actually live it and when you descend into how you actually live it you have to pick a place, you have to pick a church, and so you're going to either choose Catholicism or choose evangelicalism or choose Pentecostalism. You can't just sort of endlessly hover above it without committing. So,
1: yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think it's an unsustainable position.
0: And so, at some point, you're gonna have to. Now, I'm gonna give like probably the single most obscure reference <laughs> that I've ever given on this podcast, and I hope that if you're listening and you get this reference. Um, I I want to know
1: whether I'm going to get it.
0: Yeah. I I want you to write me an email and if we had any like swag or something, I'd send you if we ever get swag (laughs) and you get this, I'll send you this. But see, but this is not fair because company can just go out and chat GPT and cheat, (laughs) but they wouldn't do that. Our listeners are honest, right? Uh, Our listeners are clever. That's true. So here's the thing. At some point you come to the big chasm and you have to get across it. And there's this old woman in a rocking chair named mother Kirk. And she's the only one that can carry you across the chasm. Mm -hmm. And you can search to the north, and you can search to the south, and she'll say, there is no other way across the chasm I have to carry you. Mm -hmm. Now, if you know what book that's from.
1: I feel smart. I do know what book that's from.
0: I know you know what (laughs) book that's from. (laughs) Um, so anyway, Corey, you want to r- wrap this up. What do you say to somebody who is considering Catholicism working through the last, maybe the last two or three or four doctrinal hurdles that they have to work through? What should they do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's an exciting time. I, I was excited when I was doing that. I think there's, there's a lot um, to chew on there. And so I'd say... Like we said, approach it in its own terms. Don't don't approach it as a caricature of itself. Read read the sources, read the catechism, find good online resources like this podcast and, and others or, or websites and plenty of books out there that present the church's doctrines in a clear and concise way and define their terms well. And and that goes a long way just to actually understanding what it is that you're considering pray about it, of course, because in Christianity, the life of the mind should not be separated from the life of the Spirit. And so, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and to give you wisdom and to help you understand and to cross those barriers to give intellectual and spiritual assent when it's necessary, when it's appropriate, uh, rather than... um, There's a temptation, I think, just to be constantly searching, constantly holding back assent, and that has to be the position that you're in for a certain amount of time. You have to give it uh, its due how much consideration it is, it's worthy of. But at some point, you do have to decide on these basic questions. And so I would encourage you, you know, spend the time that you need, but when, when you, you can't hold off forever. Well said. So in the next
0: episode, we're going to kind of keep this team going a little bit. But we're going to talk about whether the Catholic Church is still Catholic. (laughs) we're going to talk about the kind of the battle for, Mm -hmm. like, Orthodox Catholicism. So so we talk on this, the intro to this thing about historic Catholic Christianity. And the concern is if I join the Catholic Church, am I really signing up for historic Catholic Christianity or not? Because you could look in the news and see a lot of things if if you're on the outside giving pause. Mm -hmm. So we're going to, you and I are going to explore that in the next episode. And there's a guy right outside this room (laughs) running like a power drill or a sander. Oh my God. There it is. Wow. He's in the ceiling, just drilling. <laughs> so, between my cough and that, let's do a quick exit. Hey. So, it's like, see, Satan, get behind me. He's trying to thwart the growth of our podcast. Real quick, once again, as always, will you follow the podcast? Somebody pointed out to me the other day that I keep telling people to subscribe to the podcast, and someone said, I can't find the subscribe button on Apple or Spotify. It's a follow button. Some podcast services call it subscribe, and some call it follow. And somebody said, I keep keep looking for the subscribe button, and there's only a follow button. And I'm like... (laughs) Try that one. Try that one. So hit the follow button. But if you're on a different podcast service, hit the subscribe button, whatever. The other thing too is ratings and reviews are huge. I I really appreciate the reviews and ratings. You can go give it a five-star rating if you feel like it's a five-star rating. Those move us up in the search engine and giving reviews really move us up in the search engines. And also go to the website because you can see all of the episodes categorized there. If you hit at the top of the bar episodes, you'll have a drop down or you can go to a page and you'll see like a them organized either chronologically mm-hmm. or you can see them organized by category. But you there's also a search bar at the top. So if there's a particular thing like you want to search about Mary or something you can enter Mary and all the episodes that are related to Mary will pop up. So anyway, go there, you can investigate whatever you're curious about. And and while you're there, we would appreciate the support. Your financial support makes this podcast possible, and it makes it possible for us to grow it and expand it so we can help more people to consider Catholicism in the next year. So
1: thanks, Corey. Thank you. I pray yes. that you'll be feeling better soon. Yeah,
0: and this ceiling doesn't fall down on us. that cuts <laughs> through it here. So all right, thanks a lot. Yep.